What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? The primary ones that come to mind. This is not the time to have that weird kind of humility. Just be honest. What are some of your strengths? Name one, name two. What are some of your weaknesses? Yeah, I'm sure as you think about your weaknesses that that you guard against letting them rule over you. You don't want your weaknesses ruling over you. And so you guard that. You should be. But here's the question that I'm really asking in this podcast. I'm not even interested in your weakness as another time and another place to talk about that. But how vigilant are you in protecting yourself from your strengths? How aware of you how aware are you that your strengths, your good qualities, the things that people know you to be, the things that you may even like about yourself, how aware of you in knowing that those things could be more detrimental to your soul and your relationships than your weaknesses. Well, that's what I want to talk about in this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. If you want to read this podcast, I want you to go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this title, How Your Unguarded Strength Can Become a Double weakness. Everything that I'm going to share with you is written out for you so that you can share it, study it, reflect upon it, take it, talk to somebody about it, and that would be fantastic. As always, if you want to talk to us, here's what people do. They come to our website. They go to our free community forum. Our supporting members go to our uh, private forum is what I'm trying to say, and they talk there. Either way, either way is great. The main thing is that you you talk to us, you you ask us. We we want to come alongside you. We want to give you advice, not as a replacement for your local church or those who know you best, but in a supplemental way. And it's free to you. If you're not a supporter, it's free to you. Please come get on our free community forums and and let's talk. All right, let's get into it, how your unguarded strength can become a double weakness. It is common sense to protect yourself from the adverse things in this world that could tempt you to sin. For example, the individual tempted to drink too much alcohol would be foolish not to set up parameters to guard, to protect his life from getting drunk. The person who has a history of any type of addiction would would practice discernment to stay out of their specific trap of habituation. Caring people who don't want to habituate themselves in sin will think this way. For the Christian, it is biblical common sense to keep yourself unspotted from the world. A few years ago, I was reading a devotion from Oswald Chambers, The devotion, many of you know, many of you have read it, my utmost for his highest. And in one of those devotions, I don't remember which one, but it talked about guarding your mind against your strengths. Oswald Chambers said it this way. He said, quote, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. Now, his words stopped me in my tracks. I had been spending most of my time guarding the front door of my heart, guarding against my weaknesses, the temptations that I'm aware of, never realizing there was another kind of sin 
that could come through the back door. Now, I want to illustrate my point here for you, and so I'm going to give you three illustrations that make this point about how your strengths can not only demoralize you, but your strengths can paralyze you. Here's three illustrations. Number Well, here they are, the smart girl, the successful man, and the merciful friend. The smart girl. A 12-year-old girl who is super intelligent, it's her strength. Her brains are her or is her strength. Her parents do not realize that she uses this good quality as a way of gaining acceptance and stroking her cravings for significance. As you might imagine, in a family dynamic like this, her daddy was not an encourager, which is why she's looking for encouragement any way that she can find it because she feels deflated and she feels discouraged. She feels devalued. She feels invisible and it feeds her feelings of insecurity. And when she was younger, she realized that God had given her a special gift. It was her intellect. This little girl is brilliant. And it didn't take long in K-5 before she was aware of how easy it was for her to get good grades. And with those good grades came the accolades and the positive encouragement from her teachers. There seemed to be nothing wrong with her formula. Here's her formula. Good grades equal applause or accolades or acceptance, fill in the blank. What her family did not see was how her intellect became her form of idol worship. She silently fed her craving for acceptance by making good grades, which prompted all sorts of positive comments. Do you see how she could manipulate the, the narrative the way that she wanted to hear, feel, see, experience the narrative? And so in this case, her most significant strength became her greatest weakness. Illustration one, the smart girl. Illustration two, the successful man. There was a successful businessman who could never please his dad. Today, this son is a wealthy workaholic salesman. He discovered in his early 20s that he could draw people around him with his charisma. Everybody who meets him loves him. What nobody knows is that he's a historical people pleaser. He hides his insecurity behind his charismatic facade, his charm. The acceptance of his fan club fills a deep void in his life that dates back to his childhood. The sadness of a never-affirming dad vaporizes by turning on click, his charm. His friends see him as a model for success. What they don't perceive is how all the winning has made him a loser with the Lord. His spiritual diet is socially hanging out with the guys at the Bible study, but he never contributes anything of substance. And they love having him around because he's so charismatic. He's fun to be with. But his family suffers. His strengths smother out the hope of him ever thinking about someone other than himself. 
Some people see him as a model of success, but that success has truncated his relationship with God. The most significant breakdown in his home where he does not lead his family spiritually. His craving for success, which he does have from a cultural perspective, because when the culture looks at him, when they see half of him, the front half of him, the front-facing half of him on, on Facebook, well, what they see is a man who is successful. But his craving for that success is leading him to divorce court. His strength like the smart girl who is manipulating her intellect for applause. This man's strength is his debilitating weakness. We have the smart girl, we have the successful man, and now we have the merciful friend. Everyone says that Mabel has the gift of mercy. She always pulls for the underdog, and when there is a person in need, she never says no to the opportunity. There is no question that Mabel is a caring and giving person. I'm not criticizing that. I'm not saying it's untrue. But the darker side of her life reveals the story of mercy run amok. Always helping others mask her deep insecurities from a life of tragedy. Because of all the heartbreak from her past, she cannot bear to see another person suffering. Her undiscerning friends say that she has the gift of mercy. True, but not entirely true. Yes, she has, the, she has genuine compassion. But the dirty little secret is that the fear of man has captivated her heart. Mabel refuses to say no to any cry for mercy because she does not want anyone to think poorly of her. She has an octane-infused approval drive that requires positive reviews from everyone. Sadly, no one will speak into her life because to them, it does not make sense that serving others could have traces of sin in it. Mabel's genuine strength of mercy is also a soul-diminishing weakness. And so the title of the podcast and the article that I'm sharing with you, How Your Unguarded Strength Can Become a Double Weakness. All three of these illustrations describe individuals who have good gifts from the Lord. Nobody's taking that away from them. It is true. God has blessed them with a combination of a personality and gift mixes that enables them to do good things in redemptive ways, to be smart, to be charismatic, to be merciful, are valuable assets any for any Christian's life. Then there is the doctrine of sin, always lingering in the shadows of our souls, hoping to corrupt every good gift from the Lord. You and I are no different from my three fictional characters. God has blessed you too. And so the question is, as I asked in the beginning, what is one of your God-given strengths? What is that thing that comes naturally to you? You can do it in the dark. You can do it with your eyes closed. You can do it in your sleep. The solution is not to hide your strength by putting it away because your motivations might not be pure when you use it. No, you don't want to go to that extreme. Your initial response should be self-awareness, having self-awareness. Being self-aware is one of the 
kind mercies of God, that he gives us that kind of illumination to where we can see ourselves with just a little bit of clarity, knowing that anyone has the potential. If you have this kind of self-awareness, you will know that anyone has the potential of taking their strength and turning it in such a way that it feeds the little bit of narcissism that is in all of us. Now, I am very much aware that there'll be three kinds of listeners to this podcast. You'll have the over-introspective listener, and they will zoom in on their motivations, and it will tie their souls into knots. Don't do that. You overhear, over-respond, over-process, over-reflect, over-apply. These folks tend to bounce from one polar opposite to the other. On one side is this illusion that, that you can do something with pure motives. We'll get this question every now and then on our free community forums. Well, someone will write in and they say, I, I do X, Y, Z, which is a good thing that they do, but my motives aren't entirely pure. Well, it's not a valid position to take. As a fallen human being, broken people are not purely pure, even in any way, including their motivations. And so you don't want to zoom in so close that you're examining every thread, every trace of your motivation, because as I said, it will tie you up in knots, so don't do that. But then you have an opposite reaction, and that is a, 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 a paralysis that leans toward giving up. Well, if I can't do it with pure motives, I'm not going to do it. Okay, well, that response is not right either. You must live, this is the third person, you must live somewhere in the middle, knowing that your heart will never be perfect in what you do, but you must keep on serving God with the strengths that he has given to you. Doing wrong by not using your gifts is not the right response to keep from doing wrong by operating with imperfect motivations. Two wrongs do not make a right. And so if God has given you the ability to do well in his world, to be a, a redemptive individual, to be on God's restoration team, whether you're, you're cooperating with the Lord and taking care of your own self or you're cooperating with the Lord and ministering to, a, to another, the last thing you want to do is hide your strength under a basket. Typically what happens with folks, like my three smart, successful, merciful people, is that their lives have ongoing soul trouble. When you look underneath the surface of their lives, and that's where you need discernment. I said a couple of times in those illustrations that, that people view them on the outside, the surface side, the facade side. And they see the successful man. He's got it all together. He's got the big house and the nice cars and et cetera, et cetera. And then you see the merciful person. And, well, why would anybody say that it's wrong to, to be merciful? And, and we see people from this externalized perspective. And we don't have enough sense, we don't have enough uh, biblical awareness to be able to look underneath the surface of their lives 
And I'm not saying that we should like judge everybody who is using their strengths for God's glory. That would be a wrong response as well. There's a difference between being suspicious of everyone or anyone and, and being discerning. And so you always want to be discerning, and so you want to make you want to make charitable judgments as you interact with your friends. And so typically what will happen is you'll see, well, she's a smart girl, and he's a successful man, and that's a merciful individual. And what you won't see is there, there, there is this ongoing soul trouble. It rides just underneath the surface of their lives. These individuals are never really truly comfortable in their own skin. And if you can get them alone long enough to where you can have some interaction with them and get to know them well enough, then you will be able to, you'll be able to hear You'll be able to perceive that, you know what, these, these people are, are not comfortable in their own skin. There's an internal awkwardness of the soul, and it's one of the indicators. That is the awkwardness, the internal frustration, and it's how you measure someone. It's how you measure yourself to see it, how you're doing in your life. If you don't have soul peace, shalom, if you don't have soul peace, at the deeper level of your heart, then there's something wrong. Now, as you might intuit, my three friends don't have that kind of shalom. And the reason is apparent. They have God-given strengths. And though they might not be aware of how they are abusing their good qualities, they are. And their souls have low-grade angst, always churning below the surface of their lives. Now, what you don't want to be is you don't want to be the empathetic person. The empathetic person is the one who jumps into the quicksand to, to, to be with them in their suffering. No, no, you don't want to be in their suffering. No, you want to be a sympathetic person. You want to stand outside so you can see in in such a way that you are not overwhelmed by the emotion of it all and so you can think compassionately and and competently and courageously because what you don't want to do is do what they may do typically this type of person who has this low-grade churning below the surface of their lives is that they tend to blame the adverse shaping influencers on why they are this way and so the smart girl could be so could be more focused on what her daddy did not do. The successful man could be more focused on what his daddy did not do. And the merciful person can be more focused on whoever her shaping influences were. And so you you don't want to you, you, you don't want your response cannot be that they made me this way. That attitude would be unfortunate. And you don't want to be the empathetic person who gets in there with them, and you don't see with the clarity that you need. There is a more straightforward answer. All three of my fictional friends are are proud. They're being proud. Now, as to how intentional they are about it, I don't know. I can't tell you that the, the smart girl is, is that premeditative. The way that she got to, way, to where she is could have been so subtle, like the frog in the kettle, that it's not really intentional, a premotivation. 
as much as something that she has just sort of found her way into, and this is who she is. I'm not going to say that the super successful salesperson does this as well, but he may Because when he fell into his strengths or when he got to the place where he could use his strengths in such a way that he could manipulate people, manipulate individuals, he may be more premeditative because he has a higher level of sophistication when he began his journey of of using his strengths as a a way of gaining applause. He was in his 20s. But but the girl who who stumbled upon her intellect as a a K-5 individual, probably not. And then the the merciful lady, the the merciful lady, she probably not premeditative either. I doubt it, because what happens in her situation is she's doing she's doing the Lord's work. It's a spiritual gift. The intellect is a spiritual gift, but it's used in a cultural way through grades and and academics, and the successful man is a spiritual gift. Obviously, God gives him that gift to do that, but he's using it in a cultural way also as a, as a salesperson. But the lady who, who has the gift of mercy, she's doing the Lord's work. That's why her friends would never even think that she's using this just like the other two. And and so if you if you fall into the trap of 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 saying that well yeah I, I see how they made you this way then you're not going to focus on the real issue that's going on in their hearts which is pride whether they got to the position of pride through the slow boil process or or they just realized hey I am I got charisma and I can manipulate people B- being proud and here's the deeper problem. Because once you move it into the proud category, the most significant opposition in their lives right now is the Lord. Because God opposes the proud, and that's why you want to shift the argument from those who did something horrible to you to now I have responded this way rather than a God-centered way that, that I, have an, I have opposition in my life. It is the Lord. Now, I, what, what I don't want you to hear is I'm letting their adverse-shaping influencers off the hook. No, no, the girl, the K-5 girl, her dad is, is guilty before God and guilty before her. The, the super salesman, his dad is guilty as well because they are guilty, and they need to make that right because these people, they have complicated their souls. At some point, however, the Christian has to move beyond being the perennial victim for the things that have happened to them. The accent mark must shift from what they did to me, even though it's legitimate and nobody is minimalizing it, but it has to shift from that to how am I to respond with Christ-like humility before the Lord? And so without making excuses or justifying bad behavior from the people, the influencers, the shaping influencers in their lives, we do have to index forward. And we have to figure out how what others may have meant for evil is the Lord superintending superintending for our good as he's taking that good gift and now he is refining it. 
The perpetual victim is in a prison of pride, while the maturing believer is leaning into grace-empowered humility. Freedom from the bondage of manipulating our strengths to feed our egos starts with humility. It recognizes that apart from the grace of God, anyone can turn anything into an opportunity for self-glory. From the position of a humble heart, you're now willing to accept the possibility that you might not see how you can fall into this trap. The, the, the smart five-year-old, who's no longer five, but however old she is, the smart individual can now start to see from a position of a humble heart that, that maybe I have been manipulating the narrative of my life. Same with the salesperson and the merciful lady. At some point, then you're ready to talk about how your unguarded strength might, it just might be a double weakness. And thus we get to the place in the podcast to ask you the question, are you ready to talk? Can you see what you could not see? And I'm not asking you to zoom in and, and twist your soul up into knots because you're trying to find this, this thing, but just think with common sense and, and clarity. Are you ready to talk? And the first question that you really want to answer is, what is one of your strengths? And, and, and don't do the weird humility thing. Oh, well, you know, God, God, God gave me this gift. You know, it's the Lord's mercy to me. Please don't, please don't do that. Don't go Christianese. Now, if you don't know how to identify one of your strengths, which I imagine most of you do, but if you don't, the best way to identify it is by recalling how folks talk about your good qualities. What do people say about you? What are the good things that they point out about you? If someone is always saying you're a merciful person, for example, then that would probably be a strength of yours. Perhaps you can think about how you want folks to know you. This is another way to think about your strength. How, how do you want people to know you? Our smart fictional lady wants people to know her as being intelligent. How do you want people to know you? Typically, we want others to know us for something that we can do in reality. I mean, for example, I don't want anyone to know me for my singing voice because it's just not, it's just not flattering. And so the tendency is to manage the strength that you have, and the temptation is to overinflate it, to amplify it, so you can keep the accolades coming. Hence my question, what is your what is your strength? And now that you have identified it, the next question is, have you ever used it to manipulate a narrative, to manipulate a response, to manipulate an individual? A preacher can do this by asking someone, hey, what'd you get out of the sermon? Now, the preacher already knows that the congregant liked it, which guarantees that the response will be favorable. Hey, what'd you get? What'd you get out of the sermon? And then they say something. It can be just a subtle way of feeding the ego. Here's another example. This happens to women a lot. It is how the attractive girl or the attractive woman will accentuate her appearance to catch the eyes of others. It happens a lot. And if you don't have enough self-awareness to know that this can be part of your regimen and how you do life, then, well, you don't have all the self-awareness that you need. One more example is the person who never asks for forgiveness. They won't admit wrong. 
They won't admit wrong because they don't want anyone to think poorly of them. And to admit wrong is to say that I have made a mistake. And so whether it's the preacher, the teacher, or the podcaster who is asking, what did you get out of the lesson or the attractive woman who accentuates her appearance to catch the eyes of others, or the person who never asked for forgiveness. And there's many other ways to illustrate this. You have been listening to the article on our website, How Your Unguarded Strength Can Become a Double Weakness. In the call to action, I have a few straightforward questions for you. Number one, in what specific way did the Spirit of God illuminate you about your unguarded strengths as you were listening to this podcast. Number two, who is the person that you're going to talk to about it? Will you? Who is that person? Name it. Name him. Name her. Number three, what are you going to say? Be specific. Be practical be revealing. This is a conversation that all of us, every person needs to have. Maybe it's not a problem with you, but you need to have the conversation because we all have strengths. I'm aware of what my strengths are, and I'm aware of the subtleties of the trap, and this is a conversation that Lucia and I have, and we have had many, many times. She has her strengths as well. And we've had that conversation, too. I've asked her some very pointed questions because I can, and she knows that I I love her, and we trust each other, and we, we just live in that kind of transparency. Now, if you don't have someone that you can talk to, well, you can talk to us. We can't be your life coach and can't be your counselors, but we would love to come alongside you any way that we can. Maybe you have something else you want to say. You can talk to us about that, too. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.